Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. Hey friends, welcome back to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am so happy to bring you another episode here. Today we're talking to Jeannie Gaffigan. Jeannie Gaffigan wrote uh, her first book. I'm sure when she was thinking about writing a book or any book, she's done a lot of writing. She she, she was one of the main writers in uh, Jim's uh, TV show. So she's not unfamiliar with writing, but I can't imagine that she'd ever think she'd be writing about Uh, her own battle with a brain tumor, but that is what she did. That's right. She wrote a book, When Life Gives You Pears, and in perfect comedic writing, uh, yeah, her tumor was literally the size of a pear, so that's what she wrote about, and how her faith, and in particular, the rosary, was a piece that she clung to and really helped her bring perspective to everything, not just the life and death event that this was, for sure, but to her family and even to deepening her prayer life and how she prayed. Uh, Jeannie is a joy. She was a, she was a joy to talk with. And let me tell you something. This woman's a trooper. Okay, she's a trooper for many reasons. Of course, she's a wife. She's a mom and a five. She's a working mama. She's she's she just always is doing things. Plus, she came out of this huge like health issue. I mean, come on. But on top of all of that, she continued. She she's amazing. She did this interview with me just days after coming out of uh, surgery on her throat. I couldn't believe it. I was like, Jeannie, are you sure? Like, she goes, oh, no, let's, she goes, honestly, I'm ready. Let's go. I'm like, okay. I mean, what an inspiration right there. She really is committed to, um, to her work and to bringing out this message that's in the book. I can't wait for you to listen to her and to hear all that she has to offer us. Uh, Truly is someone who's doing something beautiful and bringing her life and her perspective and not afraid to talk about her faith. Um, into into the public square. All right, here you go. Without further ado, here is Miss Jeannie Gaffigan. Hey, friends. Welcome back to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. As you know, I'm Leah, and we have a very fantastic special guest with us. Jeannie Gaffigan, how you doing? Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I am so glad you are here. So, so glad. Um, so, I love the let's just get right into it I love the fact that you have a book with pears all over it those are pretty good looking pears right <laughs> they are those are some nice pears a lot of connections there but obviously we know um from the very beginning as you as you spoke about pears in fact one of the first things that I read when reading your book when life gives you pears is the line that you just come out with in the very beginning of talking about pears and how they are this metaphor for life um as we like just jump into this conversation and this book that you wrote when life gives you pears let's just have you start from the beginning um for those who may not know, um, why are you talking about pears and why is it a metaphor for life? Well, there, that's two different answers. The first one is I'm talking about pears is because when I actually um, saw the tumor inside my brain, um, it looked exactly like a pear. 
And when um, neurosurgeons describe tumors, they usually compare them to fruit. But I, I never heard pear because pear, a pear is kind of an, an odd looking fruit. It's not like, you know, a, an apple, you just picture an apple, a nice round, perfect apple. Um, and a pear is this kind of like oddly shaped thing that doesn't have to really follow any logic. Um, and then, um, when I thought of the actual fruit pear to answer the second part of the question, I just thought about how, when a pear is like at its like most beautiful and perfect, it's really not that, um, tasty. It's very hard and, when you slice it, it's kind of, you know, not very, uh, it's sort of bland and tasteless, but it looks great. And, um, but when a pear is really ripe and you try to cut it and it's mushy and it's just a big mess, that's when it's the most delicious. So it just kind of, you know, these kind of like odd thoughts were, were going through my head when I, when I saw this thing in my brain that might kill me that what looked like a pear I just started thinking about pears. <laughs> I don't know how you wouldn't. Now, you you and your husband, your whole family, I would imagine, from what at least I follow on social media, you just have this natural sense of humor. Um, maybe it's just the perspective and, and way that you look at life. Uh, and, and you describe in your book that when you're receiving this news from your doctor about um, your brain tumor and the size of it, um, that that your your mind is going through a different variety of things. And are you at this point when you describe this in the book and like when this is happening, um, what were those first few thoughts? Or was there just only one thought that continued to circle around in your head? How did that, how was that process? Can you take us there? Yeah, sure. When I first, I mean, first of all, I mean, I think anybody can relate to when you get any kind of scan, whether it's a, an ultrasound when you're pregnant or you just are getting a random like x-ray or whatever, there's always like this kind of fear that they're going to find something, but it's like, then you're like, oh, of course they didn't find something or something's, you know, something's going to be wrong with my baby and then it's fine, you know? And I just think that initially when they were like, yeah, we found something and it's really bad. And then I had to kind of go through a period of time where I needed to find an expert to tell me what they found because nobody will really tell you because they don't want to make a commitment to it. You need to find the right person and that's kind of a, a process. And luckily for me that only took a couple of days, but I know people that it's taken like, you know, weeks and just that, and it could have taken me weeks, but it's just, I, I, I had all these like just incredibly miraculous things happen to me, which I go through in the book. But when I, found out that I had this, this tumor and that it wasn't kind of like, let's wait and see. It was like, it needs to come out right away. It's like, you just have to deal with like what that looks like. So my first thought was, do people die in brain surgery? Do, are, do people die from brain tumors, like d getting them removed? Because I already knew at this point that it had to come out, that putting it in, I would die. And, but I had a plan. It was coming out. But in coming out, number one, was I going to survive? 
because that when it when everything boils down to it like uh, it's not I couldn't go like micro with like am I gonna lose you know my ability to speak well am I gonna have problems swallowing am I gonna be deaf in one year am I you know I just didn't care about anything else you know I I was like am I gonna live because there's so many things that I want to do yet with my life and there's so many people that I feel like I haven't done enough for. And, you know, it was just this big, you know, life and death question. And at the time there was, I couldn't find any humor in it. So writing about it, um, post it happening, I could see that I was processing it in kind of a, a humorous way. But at the time, at the moment where I was learning about this, I didn't feel, I mean, it wasn't funny to me. Um, but I think that in the, the days that followed the situation, the humor of the situation started to creep in pretty quickly. And like you suggested, I think it's just the lens that I've sort of been trained to kind of look at the world through and how that um, lens made it possible for me to beat this thing, to survive this thing, because um, I really believe that everything leading up to this moment in my life happened for a reason. So it was almost like, I was being groomed to face this moment through everything, through who I married, um, you know, what my career has been, um, having all the kids. Um, it just, everything sort of started to like make sense in a way. So whereas I think some people would have gone right to why is this happening to me? You know, why me? What is, what caused it? Like, instead of that, I was like, oh, this is all part of some huge plan. It was very clear to me that even though I didn't know what was going to happen, that 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 there was God was in it. Yeah, I mean, I find it interesting of what you're saying. And I and I've heard other people gravitate towards, I think, I think the root of what you're saying, which is it's interesting that it's in these moments of uh suffering that might be just a good just key term but just these moments different moments of su- suffering where it seems like you begin to see that everything in your life has led up for you to handle go through carry this it you know seemingly enormous cross um or challenge in your life and it it seems that like you I know for at least for me it ends up being where I, I find more meaning in my own life during times when things are really crappy versus like those moments when things are amazing. I wish I would stop and be like, okay, this is great, and then reflect more on that. But it's usually the times when things are falling apart, um, literally or metaphorically, when when you're able to calm, almost see clearly. It sound it, to me, it sounds like that's what you were just describing. I mean, and also like that just that just reminded me of like you know something that is, was always a difficult thing for me to hear. It's like, it's so hard or it's harder for 
a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, right? We've all heard that. But richness is also from like when things are great, you just don't need God, you know? When you're so rich, you just, you know, you don't realize we're all, it's very hard for us at the point where everything is perfect to just be like, oh yeah, this is all, you know, God created all this stuff for me and thank you and this is all a gift or whatever. And it sometimes takes, you know, you know, just complete like crisis or, uh, you know, just absolute crap to hit you. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. You know, I'm just like so lucky for all the stuff that I have because I could just lose it anytime in a second. Yeah. And speaking of that and losing it <laughs> and in crisis, I want to, I want to ask you a question about a part of your book. Um, when you describe this, that you were confronted, you, you said, you said in this one part, you said, I was confronted with the dark part of myself, the part that does not feel grateful, the part that wants to control everything, the furious part. And this is, this was during the time when you're in ICU, when things have taken um, an unfortunate turn and you're here at this point. When I was reading this, um, it was, it, to be, I mean, it was a little alarming to read. I didn't know this. Well, I don't know why I would know. I don't know the intimate details of your life. But in reading this and as you're sharing these intimate details, it uh, it, it it alarmed me to that to hear you say this, but then at the same time um, connected me on a human level of like just being able to have solidarity with someone else where you don't want to see these parts of yourself and they're coming up. Um I'd like to, I'd, I'd love for you, if, if for you to kind of discuss this part, I think that you, you talked about um, in the ICU, you describe it as Vegas because you just have no concept of time except there's no fun, there's no fun <laughs> at all. Um, but during this time in ICU when you were there, um, what exactly were you confronting about yourself? Well, it's, it's kind of a difficult tr- transition for me to go from like when I had this like absolute like feeling of like gratitude for God to, you know, the, the ultimate, uh, you know, spiritual darkness that I went through. And I wish that I could say the whole time I was just completely focused on my faith and how lucky I was and everything like that. But something happened to me, um, when I started to realize that I was not getting out of that bed for a long time and that I was completely at the mercy of, um, you know, uh, just like fate, you know, and I stopped focusing on God and I started focusing on, um, myself. And when I saw how angry I was at everybody, like I was angry if, you know, the nurse didn't come in on time. I was angry if, um, you know, uh, Jim left, you know, but I wasn't able to really communicate it, but I felt it. And I was, I was alone with these feelings of like, um, you know, bitterness. And it was at that time that I was like, wow, this is really scary. Like, this is really scary. And I just, if left to my own devices, 
I'm a monster. <laughs> you know, it's like, I just, I just felt so, uh, paralyzed, you know, literally I was paralyzed. And I think that it forced me to, to, cause I had to get out of it. So I was like, what is, what is making me feel this way? Like I'm alive. What happened to the gratitude that I was feeling like a few days earlier that I survived and I had to confront the, uh, reality that, um, in my life, I am used to calling the shots for everybody. So I would, uh, in, in other situations, I would be by somebody's bedside being like, okay, get her some of this. She wants this. Like I would, I would be like the kind of the mama, the mama bear, you know? And I was in a situation where I was completely out of control because I had, I couldn't move, you know? And, um, where what's more important than confronting that dark part of myself is how I got out of it. And I got out of it through focusing on God. And that's how my faith and my belief got me out of myself because I was able to connect with the fact, just like when um, I got diagnosed that I was like, wow, I, um, I really can't, you know, they say that God doesn't give you anything you can't handle. I was like, I can't handle this. So I'm going to let you go ahead and handle this God for me. And, um, luckily because I, I found that touchstone for myself when I went deep into, um, you know, almost a depression in the ICU I was able then to have something to grab onto to pull me out because I knew that people wanted to help me, but I couldn't really communicate with what, what I needed. And I really didn't know what was going on. Like, I was like, why do I have all these tubes in? Like, it, I was just very confused. And, you know, I think that out at pulling myself out of that by my faith, allowed me to grow as a person. And I don't know if I would have ever confronted that part of myself, seen that part of myself or understood um, how much I need to let go of control and give it over to a higher power, which I call God. Yeah, I agree. Me too. You know, Jeannie, um, so in that time when you're experiencing, you acknowledging this piece of yourself and and having to deal with it uh and in some way i mean obviously you have the gift of time now right you're here you're alive um but that time just goes so slowly especially when we're dealing with those difficult pieces of ourselves to work through and to process and to receive healing from a continual process that is but i mean what was there anything practical outside of the decision to confront these issues within you that you saw that you did that had that, 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 that helped then and still helps now. Well, the rosary, the meditative prayer of the rosary 
And you mentioned you you mentioned in your book that this began that this this began with you during your MRIs. Is that correct? I, I, I did it begin during the MRIs. Yes, it began during the MRIs because I didn't know how to get through that, and so you know immediately I went to you know the rosary because I just I don't it, it's gotten me through other hard times in my life and. I just started, um, you know, envisioning the, the beads because I couldn't move and I couldn't count on my fingers, you know, and I just started envisioning the beads and there was something about going through all the mysteries when I was in that situation that took me out of myself and out of the fear and out of the anxiety and it took me deep in my own soul where I was just so safe and so loved. And, um, I mean, it, it, it got me through those long, uh, you know, horrible, uh, times when I was in that tube with a, you know, and I literally, I was like, there's tubes everywhere. I was in a tube. I had tubes, breathing tubes. It was like, it, when you, when you're in those things and you, you already feel like you have to like take deep breaths, but you're also afraid to move because if you move, you can mess up the picture. And then if you have like an, uh, an intubation tube, that's kind of breathing for you. So you feel like you have to kind of go with that breath. So I can't imagine what I would have done without the rosary in you know, not the object of the rosary, but the, the prayer of the rosary in um, the MRI. And when I would just be left to my own devices uh, uh, over the, you know, many days that followed in the ICU, um, that's when I would go into, you know, myself and be like, oh, why can't I move? When is this going to end? Like, when am I going to see my kids? When am I, when am I going to eat? Like what, this is just like torture and why is our time going backwards and what day is it? Um, when I would go back to the rosary, I would go into that peaceful place again and be comforted and reassured and, and protected and, and like the deep, like sort of mystical meditative prayer was not something that I'd ever really had time to do before. So I, I, I did, you know, I said the prayer of the rosary for years and I've gone to it in, in times of, you know, crisis and despair for myself and for, you know, my children, for other people. But in the, when I, when it was me, who was the, um, you know, the, the person who was the, in the fear, I was really able to, um, you know, go deeper than I'd ever gone before. And I think that in, on the other side of it, I see that as such a tremendous gift because I know that I have a place to go because I mean, I, I'm sure there's going to be many, many other really hard times in my life. You know, I think that we can't, we can't say, well, that was done. Now I'm, you know, it's karma. <laughs> you know, I've, I've gotten through my worst. You know, you never know what can happen. So I just feel like, you know, having that, you know, powerful spiritual tool at our disposal is just something that 
I really confronted the power of it in this time. Uh, I love that. That's so that's so beautiful, Jeannie. Do you have a favorite uh, mystery that you like to say, or a particular one in well, general? I always, I mean, I know that it's kind of rote, but I always start with the joyful mysteries. But I can't say I have a favorite mystery. You know, I, I, there, each one of each mystery is just, you know, has its own tone and its own, um, you know, drama for me. And I don't know if you've ever gotten into um, um, Saint Ignatius, but there's a a prayer adventure that you can uh, kind of start whenever you want. It's called the Ignatian Adventure. <clears throat> It's an eight-week retreat, spiritual retreat. And what I found is that in post-recovery, I've actually gotten busier, even though I'm still recovering, than I've ever been before because I have all these follow-up MRIs. I mean, I had a follow-up CAT scan today, this morning. And now I also i am recovering from a vocal cord surgery because – I had a vocal cord paralysis as a result of the um, surgery. And so I've recently gotten a medialization of my vocal cords to kind of bind them together. So I eventually will not have vocal fatigue. And it's also bringing with it a lot of challenges. Um, but then, you know, life also goes on. I have five kids. They're all in school. I have a husband. I, we have a career. We have, you know, the book. <laughs> There's like so many things going on. So I kind of made a pact with a couple of other really busy mothers that we were going to do this Ignatian adventure together, um, which is a really fun thing because you can use, you you text each other and be like, okay, we're on week three, day three today or whatever, you know? Anyway, um, what my point is, is that St. Ignatius goes into the drama of the scriptural stories. So instead of just, you know, reading about, um, you know, the, uh, the visitation, um, or something you're, you put yourself in the room, like you put yourself in the drama of the situation. And, you know, that is to me what happened during, you know, the rosary. So it wasn't, it's never the same, like going through the mysteries are never the same because when you put yourself in the room, there's always, I mean, you know, the, I mean, I, I have to say that like people would, you know, my, my kids would, you know, say like, why would you like the sorrowful mysteries? And like the sorrowful mysteries are some of those incredible experiences that I've, I've had with the rosary. I don't know. Am I getting way too like, you know, mystical right now? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> You're amazing. I'm sitting here just soaking it in. I'm probably a terrible host. I'm sitting here just listening as if I'm a listener. So no, I think I know what you're saying is amazing. I'm so happy that you're talking about it. It's this, ah, this is why I love this podcast and I love doing this work because Jeannie, for me, I get to interview amazing people like yourself and I get to listen and learn from you because this whole podcast is, is based on um, inspiration from Mother Teresa who said to do something beautiful for God, do it with your life, do it every day, do it in your own way, but do it. And what you are doing right now and sharing in this conversation, but just who you are as a human being and as a daughter and as a, as a wife and as a mother is something so beautiful and sharing your heart in this way 
is exactly what we want. I mean, we just want to connect with people. We want to connect on a human level. And I know that sometimes when some people kind of are at different uh, spots in the world or they're celebrities, it can kind of feel like they, they in some ways lack some piece of humanity, but it's not the case. And so the point of point of all of this is just to connect with people person to person and connect at the heart and what really connects us to um, our creator and I think what you're sharing is in my opinion is is just beautiful and it's something so needed is for us to talk about how we can connect with um, like you talk about like how we connect with the life of Christ and and I mean I'd rather hear you talk more about this than than me, but all I can share at this point is just the fact that what you shared right here in terms of what the rosary did for you during this time when you're getting these MRIs and you're 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 recovering from from your brain tumor surgery and you've got this, you know, secondary issue and this illness that you're recovering from in ICU is is running to the rosary because the rosary is this intimate life of Christ and his blessed mother and when you dive into it, um, you bring yourself into it. And as you had mentioned through this Ignatius retreat, you put yourself into the drama of those mysteries. And every time we do that, that's why you can say the rosary day after day after day, and it doesn't really get boring because every day you're dealing with something different. And when you dive into the drama and you bring yourself into that one particular mystery, you're bringing everything of your day into that. And you encounter Christ and his mother and in, in the life of Christ in such a profound way that um, it can't help but change us. Hey, this message is for my ladies. Ladies, listen, if you are looking for some accountability in your prayer life, if you feel or you might be alone, uh, you feel like you're alone in your faith life, maybe there's not a lot of people who support you or are around you, um, or you're just not connected to them, or <laughs> sometimes it's just struggling uh, to reach out, um, or, 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 or maybe it's just the fact that you want to know your faith better. You really want to go deeper, but you feel overwhelmed with all the amount of uh, possibilities and ways to do that. Or you want to go to grad school, but you also really don't want the price tag that's associated with that, or the homework, um, or the intensity maybe. And you're looking for practical and pastoral theology. I have an answer for you. We just created the very first Catholic app for Catholic women. Super excited about this. This is the Lux app, L-U-X. Lux is Latin for light, and we truly believe that we are called to be lights and called to be leaders um, for ourselves, for our families, for our church, and for the world. So I want to invite you to join this amazing network of women. It is so much more than an app. I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of all of the work that we have done to create this app. But And it's mobile friendly. It's also desktop friendly. But it's really, truly about a network. There are three main components. Really quickly, I just wanted to share with you so that you know about it and you can share it with others. We have the prayer department. And in prayer, we offer live weekly prayer, rosary, divine mercy, chaplet. We also offer live 
Sunday Gospel Reflections by Father Michael O'Loughlin, who is our Lux chaplain, and he often, very often, goes in and even offers live evening prayer. So you you always get a notification on your phone whenever he goes live if you want to pray with him. But it's really beautiful about what he does. Um, he's there for us every single week, guiding us through the gospel and giving us a challenge to take with us throughout the week. I love the prayer department inside the app. It is absolutely my favorite piece, I think. Um, and then we have the community piece. And a lot of people kind of like gloss over or when they offer something, they always say community, but they really don't mean it. We mean it. We we sincerely mean it. This is one, This is the best tech tool I have ever used to really connect me with other Catholic women um, in a way that you're off social media, so you don't have to worry about all of that. There's no trolls. And you really are in this intimate place with other Catholic women. And you can actually find out and see where they are around you and near you, like in your city, or even when you travel, you'll be able to find out where the other Lux ladies are. And if you wanted to, you could reach out and say hello. You could connect. You could maybe arrange a time to like go grab coffee whatever you want or maybe you just want to stay back and just you know chat in the chat boxes from afar either way you will definitely know that you're not alone anymore in your faith and then the third main compartment our main department that we offer inside the lux network is formation and that is lux university where we offer practical and pastoral uh, theology courses for you to know your faith better. Uh, it's amazing. It is ever evolving. We are constantly adding new courses to the LuxU platform. So you're never going to get in there and then like that's all we're ever going to have. We film new courses about once a month. So we are churning out new stuff constantly and we're always asking you about what you want. Like what's a co- what's what topic do you want covered? And so it's community sourced uh, content that we're putting out. It's really beautiful. We're faithful to the church teachings. We are just courageously Catholic in our faith and, and in our movement towards being leaders and lights in the world. And we want you to join us. So make sure you go to theluxuniversity.com, get the information, choose your plan and download the app there. Quick note, quick note for all of my Apple iPhone users, you want to make sure you go to theluxuniversity.com to choose your plan and get the app. Don't go to the app store because Apple charges 30% more and we have no say so in that. They do that. Um, We cannot issue cancellations or refunds or anything because that's all on Apple. So we have warnings everywhere. This is your warning. If you want to be a part of the Lux Network, go ahead and go to theluxuniversity.com. It's available for anyone, international, Android, Apple, you name it. You are welcome here. I cannot wait to see you inside the Lux app reason why the subtitle of the book first of all the the um you know it's obviously the title of the book is a play on like when life gives you lemons you make lemonade right so but I didn't get lemons I got pears so I'm just kind of going with that but just like the subtitle of the book is about the healing power of family faith and funny people so you know there was always a debate over what what should go first faith family like you know there's always these like meetings about what should go first and at a certain point I'm just like you know I don't 
want to make it seem like what is the most important, what's the second most important, whatever. Because obviously, if I had no faith, I wouldn't have seen how family and funny people would have been there for me to heal me. So primarily, I know I've been talking about like going to the rosary and all this stuff because I really want to let people know you know, when you are in your darkest time, because you're going to be confronted with a part of yourself that is not, you know, we just, human nature, we just can't roll with the punches. You hear all these stories about these saints that have, you know, been, you know, seen their whole families, like, you know, be like slaughtered. And they're all just like, thank you, God, for this day. And it's just like, that's, you know, I aspire to that. But, you know, you're, there's going to be darkness, there's going to be inner battles, with your own faith and your own spirituality. So I think it's really important that we are talking about like the fact that, um, you know, I'm not going to say, Oh, and then I just immediately went to my faith, but it was there, whether it was, um, you know, uh, a, a good time or a bad time, but also in this exact same scenario, there was another aspect that in, uh, very quickly after uh, the diagnosis, during both the dark times, the spiritual times, and the times in between, there was a sense of humor that I had to maintain. So, you know, when you, when, like, I would have, like, really horrible, like, pounding headaches, and I would go into these tubes for the MRIs that would last for hours while they took pictures of everything. And there's these MRI machines are so loud and there's something funny about, I mean, you know, funny and ironic about the machine that is very vital for diagnosing and mapping out all the things that need to be done being such an uncomfortable thing. You know, it's kind of like how you, my, you know, my kid was saying the other day we were we were watching a a commercial, and um, my ten year old said, "Mom, how come all these um, medications that they advertise the, the on TV, the side effects are so much worse than the actual thing that the medication is for?" You know, it's like I, I can see that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, or the pear in this case, because my husband kind of taught me to look at things. That, we're, that we look at every day and just take for granted as like these funny opportunities to like find humor in things. And so, you know, way back before we had kids, like the, you know, observations of the things that kind of presented themselves right in front of us were, became the fodder for comic material. And then when we had kids, it was like, how because Jim was always like, oh, we can't write about kids because we're going to alienate people who don't have kids. And when I was a single guy, I used to listen to people talking about their kids. And I was like, oh, well, I'm tuning this guy out because I don't relate to what he's talking about. But at a certain point, we had to say, yeah, but, you know, that's what that's what God has put in front of us right now. And that's what's funny to us. And that's what's going to take, you know, so the lens that I was talking about before, it's like viewing everything the good, the bad, and the ugly through this com comedic lens has kind of been our tool for, you know, our career, our survival, our marriage, and all this stuff. And so when it became a medical crisis, sure, there was the fear, definitely needed the faith to get through it. 
but there was also like the humor of looking at it in a funny way. And I, I'm really hoping that I pass that on in the book that, you know, it's like, it's very difficult to laugh in the face of tragedy. But at a certain point, if you can kind of turn things on their head, and I really think that's also a gift from God is like a sense of humor to be able to look at things that are, you know, there's really, really like no way you can find like something funny, like someone, you know, be, you know, uh, I, I can name a million things. I don't even want to bring them up. But um, I think that when you have a sense of humor or you are around people that can make you laugh through your tears it just should be looked at such a gift from God. It's such an amazing part of healing. And it's like my husband says, he, you know, laughter is really the best medicine after you've had the real medicine. <laughs> I absolutely agree. It, yeah, it just alleviates so much stress that you realize didn't really need to be there. At least that's always been the case for me. Um, I, I forget what saint said it, but there's some saint... It's a female saint who said, God deliver us from sour saints. And just pointing to the, you know, point of what you were saying of like, we need humor. Um, and praise God, there are people who aren't afraid to be humorous, even in the face of faith, too, because there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of humor there as well. You, you And it definitely completely comes across in the book. Um, I've underlined so many little pieces that or are just funny. They're just funny in the book just because I want to go back and I want to read them because I want to read funny things. Um, there's also a lot of things that I underlined that are, that are very pertinent to self-awareness um, in my own life for me to go back and to kind of, you know, seek and kind of like go deeper there and meditate on. But one of the ones you had mentioned, I actually wrote this down. I wanted to ask you this question, Jeannie. Um, uh, okay, so I guess this is after you've just gotten the news and you've, I'm assuming this is after you've gotten the news that you have the brain tumor. It's the size of a pear. You're, I guess you have left your neurosurgeons or your doctor's office and, um, you were talking about how 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 neat his office was and um and the fact that Jim you said that Jim commented on the niceness of the office later and he and he says do you see how huge his desk was which <laughs> is such a funny line and that you gave him this dead-eyed stare you write and you wrote no Jim I'm not looking at his desk as uh, you said I said in a tone that really meant being married to you clearly gave me this brain tumor that's right so, you know, it's like, I just feel like, you know, when you're in a couple, like it's, I mean, we, Jim has a joke where he's like, well, he's like, you know, the first thought I had when my wife got diagnosed with a brain tumor was, well, I guess I'm never going to win an argument again, you know? And it's just like, I just think that even though it's like so macabre to like joke about it, it's like every, every single couple in, or even people within close friendships, like everyone in the audience just related to that. You all, we all have something. We all have something that we know, especially in the intimacy of marriage, where one person had something happen or did something so absurd that that would be the level of the standard where you can't go past or you can't get past that point. Um, so I guess when I read that, it's like in the first few pages of the book, this one little piece that I just read, I, I put off in the margin of the book and I wrote, and I wanted to ask you this, um, and I'm being completely serious. I'm very curious about this. Like, do you know you're funny when you're funny? 
Um, I mean, do I know I'm funny? I mean, like, I would not, I would not, you know, write anything that I didn't think was funny, but do I have fears that other people will not think I'm funny? Absolutely. But I, I think I'm funny when I'm funny, but I think that, um, I understand what you mean because like, I have like, uh, a, a bunch of kids, as you know, and I have the kids that like, don't know they're funny, but they're really funny. And I have the kids who know they're funny when they, you know, it's like, there's a, you know what I'm talking about? I completely do. I'm, I'm, I've got four of my own pregnant with my fifth. I gotcha. So I, oh, and congratulations, by the way. Um, so, um, so, I mean, there are times when judging from like the reaction of people, I'm like, oh, that was funny. And I wasn't even aware of it. Definitely. I understand what you're saying, but, um, you know, if, if it's in the book and it's like supposed to be funny, I probably was aware that it was funny because I had a certain tone in the book that was very, that I found myself when I was first writing notes, it was not for a book. It was for myself. So once I started in that very personal voice and the casual tone, um, I just couldn't go out of it because I just wanted to feel like I was just having a conversation with a friend and not trying to impress anybody. So I'm sure if there's, if there's stuff that's funny in it that I didn't mean for it to be funny, I would, I wouldn't be surprised, but every once in a while I'm, um, you know, I'll come and I'll be like, I I'll say, I thought it was really funny that blank happened while I was, you know, you know, trying to like get through this other thing that all of a sudden I had another setback and I'll make a comment that I'm, I'm aware that it's funny. Now, do I know if other people are going to find my book funny? I have no idea because I really didn't write the book to, you know, primarily entertain people like we, like we would write, like stand up for, like I wrote the book because I needed to express this very unique time in my life because I understood that, you know, next year it's going to be something else. Um, before I started, um, you know, before I had the brain tumor, I was writing a very kind of whimsical book that was more like a, a, a coffee table book, like with a lot of photos in it and things like that, that was about, you know, organizing chaos and how somebody like me with like many soft signs of ADHD is like one of the most highly organized people because I have to be like, or I will lose everything. So I've kind of, you know, orchestrated my life with five kids around, you know, post-it notes and, uh, you know, lists and things like that. And, um, so many people have said to me, I cannot believe that you actually like follow all these lists and have these, um, you know, post-it notes everywhere. And they've been like, I want to, to do this too, because I understand how you can pack for a trip so fast or, you know, get organized for school or whatever. So I started to write a comic, uh, you know, a comedy book about, you know, how I had to like leave myself notes around the house. So to remind me to take care of my kids and stuff like that. So 
I was in the process of this and many other projects when I got diagnosed with this brain tumor. So I was not planning on writing a book about, about this, this medical situation. I was trying to get back to normal so I could write the book about the, you know, the, you know, the laundry room, you know what I'm saying? So, but basically I needed to express what I was going through to myself. So once I was able to even like maneuver, cause I couldn't sit up for a really long time, but I could like lie in bed and have my, my notes on my phone and I could just write like little observations that I was having. And those observations became essays and they became, you know, the, they became kind of a chronology. Like I was kind of trying to, to make sense of what had happened. And at a certain point I realized that when I first got diagnosed with this brain tumor, that in the, in the like four days or five days that were, that elapsed between me, like having an MRI where I learned there was a mass in my brain and then, you know, finding out what it was, getting my act together, going into the hospital and having brain surgery and then just being in the hospital. It was a very short amount of time, but what would have really helped me was to read a book of some that by somebody who had survived something like this and, and made sense about it. So I, so at a certain point I was like, I have to put this together into something, you know, that I could give to somebody and, and that they could read. But the tone of the book is very casual. Like, I don't know if you picked up on that, but I'm very not, you know, I, I don't sound like I is that smart. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that maybe it's one of those things where you're reading it and you're not realizing that you're reading it. And that sounds crazy, but like that you are turning your page, the pages so quickly. At least that's how I found it because it's so easy to read, though. I do feel like um, when you're reading this book that you're relating and you're able to like get to that level of a woman. And I know for me, especially relating to like the wife and the mother part. Um, I mean, I mean, it's especially when you are writing about this moment, um, right when you got the news and you're one of the first things I guess you, you wrote that you said was what about the Easter baskets? Cause you got the news on Holy Thursday. And so you're just thinking like, do you have time to put your Easter baskets together for your kids? And, um, for me, that really connected um, to a, a time in my life when uh, I had just had my fourth baby. I just delivered my fourth baby and then a week later had a very um, serious scare of breast cancer that I'm okay with. But um, I remember my first thoughts as, I, as we found this, this growth um, in me, uh, my first thought was just something with the kids. It was just like, but, 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 but wait, we have, we, we, we have people co coming over and we have this. <laughs> and I remember my husband looking at me like, you, what? Like you're, <laughs> and so when, so how you wrote the book for me was so relatable. It is conversational. It is something to where, um, I think any woman, especially women can, can relate to that. So I, I think you did a fabulous job within that. There's obviously many of us more more so than not that won't deal with tumor gate as you as you so put it in your introduction, um, and I love what you put. It makes sense of what you put that tumor gate turned out to be this catalyst for you in this what you call this radical revolution to reconstruct your priorities. 
um, I have that line in your introduction um, underlined and like little fireworks coming out of it because I feel like there's so many, there's such a need for us. I don't know. I say today, but I maybe I would still say this if I lived a thousand years ago or a thousand years from now, but it just seems like we just need to, we need to reorder those better, our priorities. Um, so for those of us who, who won't experience tumor gate, um, in, in a literal sense, I'm sure we'll all have our big thing that we're going to deal with, as you've even mentioned. How can we live as though we have, though? How can we, how, like, what could you, what advice could you give us of what you've learned through this process to prioritize those things that are most important in our lives? It's, it, well, it, first of all, it's a lot of work, and I will not um, lie that it's something that I have to constantly relearn, even with Tumorgate. Like, I have to constantly reconstruct my priorities because it's so easy as a busy person because you can't just stop being busy. Like I'm, you're already in it. You know, mm-hmm. you can't just be like, okay, we're all moving to the woods now and not being busy and being like really, you know, experiencing each other at every moment and smelling every flower. Like we're already in it. We're in this, you know, really busy world. We're, we're all in it unless we're like, you know, a monk who just prays all day, which is, sounds great, but, um, so it's just, a, it's, well, first of all, I, I do want to say that the, um, I'm really into St. Ignatius right now. So sorry. Um, the, the daily examine is such an amazing tool. So if, if uh, you, anyone can like put, find the daily examine and put it like on their nightstand or in their book they're reading or on their desktop or their computer, um, I think that that is a really important uh, list, you know, to take, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, just a, a prayer of like, of looking back over the day and saying, you know, just examining your day and, and what, get, and then thanking God for the good things and also the bad things. And, um, so I think that you need a list. You need some kind of a, a list that's a connected to spirituality that you put in your routine because it's it, it, things happen too fast to like be able to give you some kind of like a uh, quick fix of like, okay, all you have to do is like, you know, touch your pinky finger twice and then wiggle your nose and then you can reconstruct your priorities. So it's, it's something that you have to like build upon. And I think one of the ways to do it is you just look at your life and you examine what went wrong, what didn't go wrong. And you put it by your bed or you put it on your desktop or you put a, 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 a string around your finger or however you do it to remind yourself to examine your life every single day. The other thing that I would say is that find try to, and maybe it's just that you have to touch the string or look at the list to remember this, but you find the important moments that you're missing. So for me, it might be, um, you know, my, I have a daughter who tends to tell these really long rambling stories that don't go anywhere or starts to, to construct a, a joke that she heard but then she has to start over after like she's set it up for 10 minutes because she's like oh no wait I got the wrong character 
and there is kind of a tendency to me but to be like i have like a thousand emails to read right now you know i have that's my instinct but i know that someday i'm going to look back and be like i you know i don't want to regret not paying attention to these moments you know the small things i think that ultimately this book is about small moments and i think that when i started writing it i was kind of thinking of like these huge things like changing the world and reconstructing my priorities or whatever but it's this little, the little way that you can do it. It's you have to start with these small moments. And any time that you find yourself going down a rabbit hole with your, you know, uh, you know, getting caught up in deadlines or getting caught up in like making sure your house looks perfect or things that, you know, I, I think that we all have to pray for discernment about what are the important things in life. Because, you know, obviously, we, like I said, we can't all move to the woods or we all can't, like, stop bathing or dressing our kids or whatever is on our, like, filling up our, our, uh, our kettle that's making it overflow all the time. But it's like finding within that what are, you know, what are the certain things. Maybe you can start with one thing a day. You know, is it, to, is it something you're doing for yourself? Is it saying I love you? to your husband every day or to your friend or to your mother or to, um, you know, is it something that you're just not, do you know that you, that is going to enrich your life, but you just are too busy to do it. So I think it's like finding the small moments. I don't think you need a brain tumor or anything to understand that, but like every once in a while, like, you know, I'll just take a, a, a sip of tea or coffee or something and be like, what a luxury it is to be able to drink this. It's just recognizing those small moments or like smelling your kid's head and just being there for a minute, just smelling his head. You know, it's like these, these things are just like these amazing gifts that are just right in front of us. And, and when we get so caught up in, uh, uh, priorities that, that may seem important to the world, like becoming more successful or making money or showing off to other people or whatever it is, they tend to cloud our ability to live in the moment. And I think that we need, at least I need like a little list or a little string around my finger or a bracelet or something that to remind me to just stop for a minute and look around and say, what am I, what is the small thing that, that God, what gift is God giving me right now? The small thing right now that I can be grateful for and realize that I'm never going to have this exact moment again. And I'm so grateful to have this moment. Uh, well, I'm pregnant again, so I feel like I'm crying over everything, but that was really, really good. That was really good. So as I wipe my tears away, I'm sure some of y'all have listened. I mean, it it couldn't be it can't be said enough, I don't think. And I think what you're saying, Jeannie, is so important for us just to continue no matter what. Like you said, you don't need a brain tumor to to acknowledge that and to live that way. But 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 you did. You had one. <laughs> 
and I'm so thankful that obviously some obvious things um, that you survived and you are healing from that and sharing what you have been through and are going through so that it can help us maybe check ourselves and reevaluate where we were, we're at. I was taking some notes when you were talking of just like just the simple things you were you were mentioning. I mean, I think that that's the perfect thing to walk away from. Um, I know I ask all my guests, you know, like a challenge, you know, to give the listeners. I think Jeannie just gave it. I mean, finding the small moments, being present and being grateful. Those simple things are so practical, like you said, too. I mean, I know as a busy mom myself, I mean, I think every mom's busy. It's not like it's like an, an added thing. It's the same thing that goes along with being a mother. But the, being present, you know, when they, especially like, I'm just thinking as you were talking about this, like this morning when I first woke up and I have a kid who's found his way inside my bed, which I always do. And <laughs> they just stare at me. And I remember my son just saying this morning to me, good morning, mom. And I there was this moment, and I know it's a grace from God that I could even stop and pause, but I just looked at him and he was just staring at me and just the sense of like responding back with to him with the most simple phrase of, you know, good morning, sweetheart. I love you so much. And, um, and he just smiled. But you're right. Being present in those moments, like I'm never going to get that back. And I'm just happy that at least I had it and I, I appreciated it and you kind of move on. And that is definitely a better way to prioritize our life on those things that really do matter. Yeah, I think that's the challenge, right? Everyone should just today find a small thing that you would have just blown over in the past, even if it's swallowing a, a, a cold water, a sip of cold water, or looking into someone's eyes for a little bit longer. I think that's the challenge. It's like try to find something today that is always right in front of you that you never take the time to really just savor it. I love it. I love it. There you got it, people. Find your one small moment and savor it. Be present and be grateful. Jeannie, thank you so much for sharing um, your life and your heart with us. I really do appreciate it. It was so great having you on. Oh, thank you so much. I had a great time talking to you. It was so I good. Congratulations so- on your pregnancy too. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it's a wild ride number five here we go so we are excited super super pumped by it and i know that um everyone else should be just as excited not about my pregnancy necessarily but about um when life gives you pairs we're going to make sure that that's obviously in the link in the podcast notes below you can grab your copy make sure you don't just grab one though make sure you grab two so you can give it to someone that you that you love or maybe it's somebody that's a complete stranger i love doing this when i have a great book that i have read I will always buy two. It's something that for me, is just something I personally do. And I have one and then I always have a second one so that when God presents that person he wants me to give it to, I have it ready. And, um, and maybe it's because I'm a little greedy because I'm always writing in mine and I have notes in it that I wouldn't give my own copy away. That's probably something I need to work on later. But anyways, the point is you can grab that other copy and then give it to that person who just might need it. And I can guarantee you that this is definitely a book that you want to grab a couple copies so that you can give them away. Jeannie, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Thank you for this book. Thank you for just being an amazing wife and mother and just warrior in the world that we can just look up to. Thank you, Leah.
So amazing. And thank you, my fantastic listeners of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. Again, you are amazing. A few shout outs before we wrap up. I have some shout outs from my, I have some new Patreon members. You are amazing. Thank you for supporting this podcast and um, the ability that we can continue bringing amazing guests on like Jeannie and to share with the world. We've got Lindsay from Minnesota. She is supporting us at the Kelly Kapoor tier. Good job, Lindsay. Stephanie from Rhode Island. She's at the Pam Beasley tier. Aaron Beth from Washington. She's a Jim Halpert and Allison. She is a Stanley Hudson Patreon member. Very excited if you don't, if you have not picked up on or are not aware, I have a Patreon site to support the podcast. And yes, all of the tiers are named after characters from The Office. Don't hate me. It's okay. Don't judge me. And even if you do, it's all right. All right. Now remember, whatever you do today, my friends, whatever you do, take the advice of Jeannie, find a small moment, be present, be grateful. And remember, whatever you do, do something beautiful for God. God love you and God bless. And I'll talk to you later.